to be back in Paris. This is awesome, isn't it, Ann? Wow. I remember 20 years ago when uh, it wasn't anywhere close to this full. <laughs> We're so happy you're here, and I'm happy to be with you today. My dad taught me something many, many, many years ago, and uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, it changed my life. It helped me to be the minister and the man that I am today. And I thought if it helped me, and if it changed me, then possibly if I shared it with you and you took hold of it, you could receive from it and your life could be changed as well. Before, before we get into this, I found a video that I want to show you just to kind of launch us out into what I want to talk about today. We, we got that video back there uh, geared up and ready to go. I saw that, here's what I thought, how and how will apply maybe to us. Have you ever prayed for something, wanted something, believed something, believed for something, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you even got involved with a little works? You did something to try to stop something, or you did things to try to start something, and nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, Father, from somewhere, it happened and you backed away and said, I can't believe it. I mean, you've been praying for it. You've been believing for it. And now that it's happened, you're not sure whether or not you actually believe it. So I want to talk to you about the kind of believing that matters. Now, when I say that, you, you, you might say back to me, well, is there a believing that doesn't matter? Is there a believing that is not effective? Is there a kind of believing that is not productive or not fruitful? And I want to say, yes, there is. So therefore, today, we're going to talk about the kind that gets result. The kind of faith, the kind of believing that you do, you believe what God says, and that it will produce a harvest in your life. You remember when Jesus responded to Martha after Lazarus died? Jesus said to Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? People often today say, they say things like, I'll believe it when I see it. Ever heard that one? I'll believe it when I see it. And the reality is, according to God, 
you won't see it until you believe it. God operates just the opposite of man. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. They can be, but our thoughts are not always his thoughts. And when our thoughts line up with his thoughts, then what we pray for, what we believe, we'll be able to see. Another favorite verse of Scripture of mine is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, in verse 23, I believe it is. Uh, Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, there it is again, believe that you will receive it and you'll have it. So why do we not have some of the things that we desire? Could it be it's not because of our prayer, uh, but rather it's because of the kind of belief that we have or the kind of belief that we exert. And I'm of the persuasion that it is the way we believe. Now, the whole gospel and all of the New Testament here is about believing. So I'm interested, I hope you're interested, in the kind of believing that matters. Some form of the word of believing or believe in the New Testament alone is like 300 and over 300 times the word believe or believing So how to believe effectively in such a way that gets results really should interest everybody in the room today because I'm I'm of the persuasion that in this room today there are people who are believing, who are needing health, they're needing finances, they're needing reconciliation with friends or family or children. And so therefore, what I want to do is say some things today that'll help you believe in such a way that you can find results and it can be productive and things that can happen. Now, I mentioned him earlier, and I, I want to I tell you about my dad and uh, how it came to be that he taught me these things that has made me, I believe, I believe, uh, effective in my ministry. Dad was, he was, he was a good natural dad, but my dad was also, as a Baptist preacher, He was a mentor and a spiritual father to me. So I picked up from him not only other good things, but in ministry, Dad was faithful to to encourage me and to, well, except for one time. I got to tell you about it. And you old heads here, old heads, you folks who have been here, you folks who have been here quite often have heard most of this, but uh, one time he didn't, I didn't find any encouragement at all out of it. In fact, he made me mad. I had just pastored my first church. After about a year, the honeymoon was over. I hope it's never over for you. I hope people love you till the day you die or they die. But I'm telling you, it was a one year into the ministry, and people were saying things about me that wasn't nice. I had run the course of obviously being the new pastor, and they had heard every one of my sermons in that year twice, and all of my stories two or three times, and so they were about had it with me, and so I called Dad on a Monday morning. I said, Dad, I need help. I said, these people here, they're, they're, they're not saying things about me that would honor our family, and I said, uh, I, I, I need some encouragement, and he said, He said, son, son, he said, if the mailman stopped at every barking dog, he would never get the mail delivered. And he hung up on me. (laughs) 
And after I got over my little, my little fit that I was throwing, after I got over that, I actually heard what he was saying. You got a job to do. You're a spiritual mailman. You got a message and letters to deliver to people. Good news. You need to quit worrying and focusing on all the barking dogs. And you need to focus on carrying the mail and delivering the mail. The, these old men sometimes don't ever, don't ever despise old bald headed or old men, whether they're bald headed or not. I, I grew up seeing my dad live and practice many things that changed my life. Others saw it too. Usually when we use illustrations in preaching, we give it about the patriarchs, about Abraham or Isaac or, or Jacob. And today I, I want to use my dad as an example of something that happened that will help you get a better picture of who he was. Dad was born in 1905. I think if my math is right, he'd be close to 115 if he were living today. I keep a file of thank yous and nice letters people sent me. It's a small file. Uh, but uh, So I can carry it with me just about everywhere I go. This is uh, 30 years old. Let me kind of set it up for you. It's a letter written to our family, the Corzines, from a man who probably when he wrote this, I'm guessing was about 50, maybe 48 to 50 years old. Uh, my mom died in 1989, so that would be, what, 30 years ago? Yeah, she, and after my mom died, shortly after my mom passed away, this man, who was a next-door neighbor all our whole life, our family's next-door neighbor for years. And uh, so after Mom died, he wrote a letter to our family. And I, I, I'm just going to read it to you, okay? I, it, it blesses me every time I hear it. Now he's, he's 50. He saw something in my family and in my dad as a little boy. And he writes later to tell us, listen up. Dear Corzine family, a lot of thanks for you asking me to be a pallbearer for your mother. I'm very sorry, but my physical condition limits me to what I can do. It really bothers me that I couldn't do what you ask. I loved your mother. All of her children were like brothers and sisters to me. I've always felt I've been a better person because of your family. Also, I appreciate very much your family asking me to dinner after the service. My job situation practically eliminates me from being home during dinner hour. I want to tell you something that your dad did. I was there to see it. It has had a very important effect on me all through my life. I don't remember what year it was, but I was a small boy. It was almost Thanksgiving, and preacher, that's what they call my dead preacher. It was almost Thanksgiving, and preacher asked me if me or my dad had any 12-gauge shotgun shells. All I had was a BB gun. He told me that company was coming for Thanksgiving, and he didn't have any money, practically no food in the house, even for the kids. But he said, I'm not worried. The Lord will provide. It really worried me to think that he had that problem. The next morning, he came over and asked me if I would go duck hunting with him. 
He had found two shotgun shells. One was so old and swelled that it wouldn't go in the, the gun. We went to my grandmother's farm. We walked in, and then we crawled over some terraces to a stock tank. When what seemed like a hundred ducks flew up off of that stock tank. To me, they were too far away to shoot, but Preacher raised that old shotgun and fired his only shell and killed 11 mallard ducks. Before he took another step, he got down on one knee and gave thanks to the Lord for the provision. When we got back to town, we stopped at the post office. There was a letter in the mailbox addressed to the country preacher with a $5 check in it. He bought what he needed for the rest of the dinner, and when we were picking ducks, he told me, I knew the Lord would provide. He said, all through my life, when I get to feeling sorry for myself, I think about this. Now, I'm going to say to you right now, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't tell you what the next line was. Ronnie preached the best funeral I've ever heard. (laughs) Your family's been an inspiration to me. I love all you, and thanks for being my friends all these years. Nineteen years ago, I think it was, uh, this man, our next-door neighbor all these years, uh, I was asked to go back to Howe, Texas, and to preach his funeral. And in doing so, all of this came back to me as to the letter he wrote to our family and it reminded me of my dad who also was with the Lord and all that he had taught me about what I want to talk to you today the kind of believing that matters look I want to give you if I can a couple of things gosh it's it's too many I want to give you a couple of things that Dad passed along to me. and you, you got to, If you don't know me, then you might think in me talking about me or talking about our family that I'm being a little arrogant. I'm just, I'm just telling you about my history, my life. Maybe you relate, maybe you don't, but I, I do want you to hear it in the way in which I present it, really. I don't want to be falsely humble, nor do I want to be proud. I want to fall somewhere in between there. Things that Dad passed along to me, and one of the things that Dad passed along to me, maybe that was because of his upbringing and being an old Baptist preacher. Any, any of y'all former Baptists? Anybody? Anybody? Is there any former one or two, three, four former Baptists? Well, God bless you. <laughs> but Baptists, the Baptists I knew and know, they're people who believe what God says. They hold the Bible high. They said, this is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. And so my dad is a Baptist minister growing up. He taught me, he passed along to me firsthand that this is God's Word. And whatever God says in His Word is truth. You may not understand it. You may not practice it. You may not embrace it. But it doesn't change the fact that God and His Word is true. Whatever God says, you can count on it. You can, you can believe it, so to speak. You can take it to the bank. This is God's Word. And a couple of things He taught me, believing that God was His Word. When I got into the Word of God, and what Dad wanted me to see was that I needed to believe what God said about me. 
what, how does God see me? How, how does God view me? What does God think about me? And I heard Melissa a while ago exhort all of us. People may not say good things, but that's not who you are. See, here's the fallacy. Sometimes we believe the lie that says, I am what I do. You're not what you do. You may do a lot of good things. You may even do some bad things, but good or bad, that's not who you are. That's what you do, but it's not who you are. What we need to learn how to do is believe what God says I am, who God says I am. That's what we need to believe. So you're not who, you're not what you do. Uh, another one comes to mind. You're, you're not what you possess. A lot of people think, well, you know, we, 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 we're, we're pretty blessed, man. We live in a big, nice house. We drive in two nice cars, and we got money in the bank. And so, therefore, that makes me, that makes me somebody. No, what you possess is not who you are. It's just who you are that has some possessions. And, and, and another thing is, you're not what people say about you. Look, let me tell you about people. I'm talking about people. People from here to the back row. People from right here to the back row. We can be flaky. I'm telling you, I, you, you know it for a fact. There's some people who love you and will applaud you on certain days, and the next day or the next week or the next month, they have a vendetta against you, and you don't even know what you did or didn't do. You're not what you do. You're not what you possess, and you're not what other people say about you. Let me tell you who I am, and this, this got into me from a small child. And what, what happens is when you know what I'm telling you right now, you're going to come across to some people as cocky, arrogant, because you know who you are in God, and they don't know God or who you are. I believe what God says about me. Everything else is a lie. God says I am his beloved son. God says I am the righteousness of him in Christ. God says I'm the apple of his eye. God says he loves me so much that he's not even going to hold any sins against me. And on and on and on and on I could go about what God says about me. And the pro listen now, the problem today is we don't yet fully believe who God says we are. And so it's hard for you to be something you don't know who you are. And it's hard for you to encourage somebody else to be something that you don't know who you are. Now on Facebook, I'm an intentional encourager. If you follow me, I'm going to tell you pretty much every day or three times a week who God says you are, who God says you are. But you know what? I can't make you believe that. I can believe it for me, but I can't believe it for you. And until we believe what God says about us, until we believe how God sees us, then we will never begin to reap some of the things that we desire in our lives. It's not magic. It's as simple as believing what God says and believing everything else to be a lie. So, I believe. 
Many people, this may have helped some people. I know a lot of people who still in their mind think that God sees them as to what they do. And when they do bad, they're not saved. And when they do good, they're saved. You hear me? Some people believe they're saved and sealed when they do good. But if they do bad, then God's down on them. When they do good, God's up on them. I'm telling you, God doesn't change. He's up on you all the time. I said, he's up on you all the time. I said, he's up on you all the time. You just think he's down on you because you're looking at your life through a a faulty lens and you're seeing yourself as nothing, nobody who will never be able to be anybody. And I'm telling you what, many people doubt their salvation. Maybe some in this room today. I don't know if I'm saved today because I I, I said some things this past week. I I, I did some things. I saw some things. uh, and, And you're looking at your life as to what you did this past week and determining who you are. And therefore, then you say, well, I guess I'm not a Christian. Well, that, you, you never became a Christian because of all the good things you did. And you were not kept away from Christ for all the bad things you did. Are you, are you, is anybody following me? Look, there's no need to doubt your salvation. If God's given it to you, if he's chose you, if he's selected you, if he's ordained you, if he's called you, if he's anointed you, then you are his and nothing can change that. And I know, look, I'm telling you, I know, there, I know there are denominations and I know there are teachings today and teachers who say, well, you can lose it. Lose what? Lose something that was given to you by God because of nothing you did? Listen to this word. I love it. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life because you believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Two times there. You get it because you believe. You either got it or you don't. And I'm saying a lot of people have it, but they live the other way, and they live a life of frustration and futility because they don't believe what God says about them. And one of the things that was instilled in me by my Father, by Heavenly Father, by Holy Spirit is who I am, my identity, who I am in God, who I am in Christ. Doesn't make me better than anybody else, but I'm telling you what, my life, and, I, and I've pastored and counseled many years, I tell you what, when you have a knowledge of who you are, it'll change the way you live and the way you think, and uh, it's pretty, pretty nice. That doesn't, mean, look, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I don't have problems, but I handle my problems different from some folks. When I have a problem, I, I handle it based on what God says rather than what I think I ought to do. Now, am I perfect in all this every way? No. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't take but too many wrong, bad decisions where you run into a brick wall that you start waking up and learning. I hit a lot of those walls as a teenager. Know who you are. If you're a Christian, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Did you hear me? I said, if you're a Christian, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. So, so, so wait a minute. So, so you say, you say that preacher, but what does God say? Okay. In the Bible, Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what God says. I believe him. I believe him. And another 
another thing that I picked up, and this is, this, I don't know how this is going to sound. One of the things I picked up was giving, being generous. Now, you don't know me, so you just have to interpret this however you want to. I never, listen, I never, 70 years old, I never worry about, will I have enough money to make it to the end? Never. Well, you probably got a lot stuck away. Let me tell you what, I don't care if you got millions, it doesn't take much to go through money today. You may have 25 million and you can go through it just like that, I'm telling you. So this is not about what's tucked away. Let me tell you what's tucked away. What's tucked away is the Word of God in my heart. And God said, if you live generous, if you'll be a giver, if you'll sow seeds, if you won't hoard and keep everything to yourself, if you'll just be generous and give as much as you can away, just give, 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 I promise you, you'll never do without. So why, so why, why, don't, I, why, don't, why, don't, I, why don't I worry? It's because... God, at his word, has to come through because he says, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. Hey, let me quote another scripture. Is that okay? How about, Philippi, how about, how about Philippians 4.19? That's that refrigerator verse y'all got up, hoping it works, you know, like some kind of, man, I hope this works. I, it, it sure looks good on the fridge. Look, it doesn't, it doesn't work because it's on the refrigerator. It works because it gets in your heart. You keep it near the refrigerator, it's just going to be cold, dead words. Got to get in a, hard, a, a warm heart. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Well, I like that scripture, and I even claim it. I do, I claim it. But, but I, I also interpret it in context. You've you got to interpret it in context. When, when Paul wrote this, he was, he was not thinking about you. The, let's settle this because this is going to, some of you, you'll have to go home and think about this. The Bible, the Bible wasn't written to you. You were not around when the Bible was written. So the Bible wasn't written to you. The Bible was written for you. So that 2,000 years later we could read it and how God dealt with his people. And if we would practice what God blessed in working with his people, then we could also claim the benefit. Paul said, my God shall supply all. He's, he's writing to the Philippians. And he's saying to these people, we'll go back and read it, Philippians chapter 4. He, he, he's saying to all these Philippians, he's saying, the reason God is going to supply your needs according to his riches and glory because you have been faithful time and time and time again to sow seeds and to bless and honor the word of the Lord. I better move on. I'm, where I come from, they call that hoeing too close to the corn. <laughs> I do remember Uncle John. Uncle John is Scott Windrum's uncle. Uncle John was a preacher of a country church, way out, in, kind of out in the sticks a little bit, away from everybody. And I remember Uncle John telling us, these two young preachers, he said, let me, boys, let me tell y'all about the best and worst day of my life, and it all happened on the same day. The best and worst day of your life, and it all happened on the same day? Yep, the best and worst of my life in ministry, all on the same day. So he began to tell us, he said, what happened? Some surveyors came out, and they struck oil on our land. 
He said that was the best day of our life. But he said the reason it was the worst day of our life is because the deacons came to me and said we don't have to give anymore because we've struck oil on our land. And the worst day of his life was all that he had put in those people about giving had now gone out the window because they thought because God had given them all on the land, they didn't have to give anymore. Look, giving is not about what you have in the bank. Giving is not about what you have in the ground somewhere. Giving is about what you have in your heart. Let me show you. I'm glad I brought my wife. You know, one of her gifts, the Holy Spirit gave her the gift of it's over. It's the gift of it's over. So when she comes with me, she has this gift of the Holy Spirit that lets me know when it's over. <laughs> she has several ways. I've told you about her prophetic cough. She, she has a certain cough. I know God's saying. <laughs> I, I know when, when I'm finished when she coughs. But she, she's got other ways to let me know that it's over. So we're going we're gonna to be. But, but you've got to get this. This is what's important here. Uh, We are a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. You've heard people say we're body, soul, and spirit. Now the world, I just read it this, my wife read it to me, Googled it this morning because I want to see what the world, the world thinks the spirit and soul are the same thing. If you look up the word psyche, they think the soul and the spirit are the same thing. I'm telling you the word of God doesn't believe that or say that. So let me give you scripture, how's that? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the, the, the scripture says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing, separating, dividing asunder between soul and spirit. So the word of God separates what is soulish and what's of the spirit, right? Everything of the soul is not of the spirit, and what we're going to talk about just in the next just couple of minutes here is until we learn to live out of our spirit and not out of our soul, we're not going to be able to see and receive some of the things that God wants us to see and receive nor experience the joy and peace of being a real Christian because until we believe what God says and live out of the spirit, will we ever be a recipient of these things. So you got it? The Word of God divides the soul from the spirit. The Word I'm not a scholar in the Greek, but I know how to use a Strong's Concordance. It, the, word is, the word is merimos. It means to divide, to separate, to disconnect from. And the Word of God separates soul and spirit. Now, the word, the word there is for soul is the word suke. You say, well, I don't care all about that. Just get to the point. Well, okay, I got to get there, okay? Help me. And you know what I'm going to do? I rarely ever just turn and read, but let, let, me, let, me just, let me just read something to you, okay? This is awesome. Look here. In the book of Matthew, if you're taking notes, verse 16, verse 25, if you hang on to your life, if you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you will give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
You may have read across that scripture, if you lose your soul, the word life there is soul. There's two words for life. One is Zoe, which is God, the God kind of life. That's what, that's what our spirit is made up of, the God kind of life. I've come that you might have life in your spirit. The body is not eternal. The body's going to go back to where it came from. I know, I know I'm, I'm giving you a lot of stuff here, but stay with me. If you lose, that scripture used to bug the fire to me. Do y'all ever say that? Y'all use those kind of bug the fire? Y'all, y'all, know, y'all know anything? That, that scripture used to bother me. If you lose your soul, then you can find your soul. Well, that makes, if you lose, see, the thing is we, we think our soul is the same as our spirit and it's going to go be with the Lord. The soul is your mind. The soul is made up of your mind, your emotions, how you feel, and your will, the way you act. Okay? That's your mind. And the word there for, for, for life or soul is suke, and that's where we get the word psyche from. So finally, I figured it out one day. He said, if you will let go, if you'll, if you'll let it go, if you'll lose it, just let it go. If you let go of how you think about you, and what others say about you. If you let go of what others think about you. Or what you think about you. Let it go. Lose it. And then you'll find or discover what I say about you. Then you'll have life. And the problem is we had not let go of what we think about us. Or what others say about us. We're still living. Well, I hope they like me. I hope they like this dress. I hope they like me. I hope, I hope, I hope. Hope they like, and we're living by what everybody else thinks rather than what God says. And what I'm saying is, sometimes we got to grow up and believe what God says. And let God be true, and every man a liar. We got to do that. the The way you believe Scripture, what happens is it determines what flows out of us. Uh, if if I if I if I feed on People Magazine. If I feed on People Magazine, Jennifer Aniston's going to flow out of me. <laughs> Don't let your mind go there, okay? Just stop it right now. That, that wasn't a good analogy. But it's better than Brad Pitt, I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> what, what you take in is what's going to flow out of you. It's real plain. Show you, give you an example. Now, by the way, our mind, psyche, what we think here, psyche, soul, right here. The spirit doesn't live up here. The spirit is down here. It's in the inner, it's called the innermost part, the innermost part of our being. Uh, look here, I'll show you. In John 7 38, the Amplified Bible says, He who believes in me, there it is again. He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the Scripture says. That's an important word there. If you believe on me as the Scripture says, not the government, not the church, not your parents. If you believe on me as the Scripture says, for out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of, out of your innermost being or your belly, the King James says, out of your belly or your innermost being shall flow rivers of life-giving water. Got it? I had Brandon, 
had Brandon bring me a water hose. Now, the water, we needed a little better one than the one I had. Y'all ever had a water hose that's broken down, it's got kinks all in it, and you have to get the kinks out before you can even begin to use it? You know, it's got kinks. You've got to walk down it and get all the kinks out. So here's what happens. The flow of the Spirit of God who lives on the inside of us is going to determine the pressure that comes out at the other end. Got it? Y'all with me? So let me tell you what won't get the kinks out. That won't get the kinks out. No flow, low flow, slow flow. I'm on a roll, ain't I? That won't get the kinks out. Mmm. Mmm. Oh! See, here's our problem. We stay hooked up to here. And so here's, here, here's, what, here's what's happened. Here's about us again. We're into competition. We're into comparison. We compare and then we compete. What we need to get into is connection. When we get into the right connection, we're going, to, we're going to see a flow that's going to come out of us that our spirit, the spirit of God within us, is, is powerful. And it's, it's, got, it got, it's got pressure. It's going to move things out of the way. Here's our problem. We keep, we keep trying to get all the kinks out. We go down, we're, we're, we're spending all of our energy trying to get the kinks out. Let's get the kinks out of my life. Let's get the kinks out of my life. Look here, let's get this. If we can get the kink out of this, if we can get this kink out, everything will be okay. And you spend all your time and energy trying to get the kinks out, thinking you think that the kinks are your problem. The kinks are not your problem. The connection is your problem. For when you are rightly related and when you are connected with the Word of God, then the power that is within you begins to flow out of you and through you, and the kinks get blown away. That's the best I can do on the illustration. I'm sorry. <laughs> Got to be connected. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that believes... He that believes abides in me, and I in him, and the same shall bring forth much fruit. You'll say, well, that, boy, you really hit me today. I'm a, I've been a doubter. Look, let me just try to help you a little. We all can be doubters. I hadn't, I, I'm still coming to faith and believe in certain areas of my life. I hadn't arrived. But I have enough success in things I have believed in, and I have seen the fruit of that to keep me in search of the truth about the things that I'm in doubt about. So if you have doubts, don't, don't, don't put yourself down. Here's what doubts, if you have them, and we do have them, here's what doubts ought to do. Doubts ought to send you in search for truth. Why am I doubting this? Why am I doubting this? Surely God has something to say about this. And then you go in search of truth, and once you find the truth, the truth sets you what? The truth sets you free. The truth sets you free. 
I, I, I'm, I'm fixing to land here. I'm just looking for the runway. <laughs> truth. You see, there are doubts that are good, and there's some truths that are some certainties that we think are good, but they're they're not. Let let me let me explain if I can about that. I have a doubt. I go and I discover the truth about what God says about it. So when I was, again, I ain't picking on denominations. You got I, I love them all. Uh, so what happens is, when I was many years ago, I won't put an age on it. I had doubts about when I read in Scripture about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Right in the New Testament, Paul said, I've given you these gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I thought, whoa, that can't be so. All the apostles are dead. They, the 12 apostles died. And then I realized what, he's not talking about original apostles or original teachers or original pastors. God says, I'm giving to the church Corey's pastors. I'm giving to the church teacher, maybe Greg's. I'm even giving to the church spiritual fathers and apostles who do the work of an apostle, even in old Ron Corzine. And we all have gifts. But I doubted that, see, and I didn't get the benefit of that. But when the Spirit of God came, he began to clear up my mind. He began to show me the truths about what he was giving to the church today. If, every, if all these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, if they're all for the last 2,000, if they were only for the beginning, then we're in a mess today. He said, I gave it to the body of Christ so that, so that the church could grow up and be mature, so that the church could think right, so that the church could talk right, so that the church could be right. They need these gifts in, them in order for that to happen. And so what happened, I changed my thinking about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, y'all come from so many different backgrounds. I didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it'll make you much, feel much better if you're baptized if I say filled with the Spirit rather than baptized in the Spirit. I'm amazed at how we still get hung up on words. I bet he's a charismatic. I bet, he, I bet he's a charismatic. Whew. I have to get through these, jump through people's hoops. No, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And I believe what God says. And I believe every believer, when they get saved, have the presence of the Holy Spirit come to live within them. But I don't think the full release of power is there of the Holy Spirit until we believe until we allow him to fill us and empower us so that we can go forth with power and force in the earth today. So, what I'm saying is, I said, I, I, as a Baptist pastor, I said, I think I want to be filled with the Spirit. Sounds like that's legitimate. I got filled with the Spirit, and by golly, things didn't change in my life. Now, you say, well, I've been filled with the Spirit, but I don't see that working for me. No, no, it doesn't say just get filled with the Spirit one time. That's like me eating one meal a day. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> the scripture actually says in Ephesians 4 verse 30, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Just get partially lit. No, don't get fully drunk. <laughs> no, no. They'll, they'll be, somebody going to hang up on that right there. They're going to get hung up. The whole message, that's all they heard. That's all they heard. Do not be drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be, here it is, here's the correct way it reads, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means there's a continual flow of being filled 
and releasing him, being filled. It's an, it's an inflow and an outflow of the Spirit of God working daily in our lives. And i got to stop. I said, i got to stop. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you a story about my dad closing. How's that? I opened with him. Let's close with him. We grew up in the little town of Howe, Texas. That's south of Sherman, about eight miles north of Van Alstine, west Tom Bean. <laughs> Y'all know where Howe is, okay? I lived there all my life till I went to the Navy. And when I was 18, the city was having a revival, a citywide revival, and it was in a tent, a tent, an old tent revival. And I was 18, and I worked for one of the preachers in town. He was an electrician, and he told me, you need to come to this revival. Okay, I'll go to the revival. So that night, I went to that tent revival. And uh, it was packed. And uh, I remember at the end of the service, after the preacher got done, you, you, have, to, you have to hear this. This is Baptist style. People came forward to join the church. They, they walked down the front and took the preacher's hand, and they, they, they committed their life to Jesus Christ. Some rededicated their lives to Jesus Christ. But for me that night, what I heard God say at 18, he said, I want you to be a preacher. <laughs> Surely you made a mistake. I want you to be a preacher. Go down and tell people that's what you're going to do. You're going to surrender. You're going to submit to God to be a preacher. I walked down to the front, took the preacher. He said, what are, you, what are you coming for, Ronnie? I said, guess I'm going to be a preacher. <laughs> you mean you're surrendering? You're, you're, you're committing to the call to be a preacher? Yes, I am. So he, the Baptist style, when they finish it, with all these commitments and everybody coming forward, they line you all across the front. And then they turn you to face the congregation. And everybody's looking out at the congregation. And he goes down the row, and the preacher tells everybody, what'd you come for? What'd you come? And he tells everybody what they came for. And he got to Ronnie Corzine and said, Ronnie Corzine came tonight to surrender his life to the gospel minister. He's going to be a preacher. And I finally had the courage to lift my head. And when I did, I lifted my head, and I saw my daddy on the third from the back row. I didn't know he was going to be there. He didn't know I was going to be there. We just coincidentally showed up at the same revival meeting and I'm looking at him and he he doesn't something's wrong because he he's he's dabbing away something at his eyes. Well the preacher like they do in the Baptist did in the Baptist does anybody before we leave have anything to say? I'm not gonna say that today. You need to go ahead and understand. <laughs> he said, Does anybody in here have anything to say before we dismiss? And my daddy, who was not bashful, said, I got something I want to say. Brother Corzine, come on down here. Good to see you. My dad came, and he stood by me, put his arm around me. And he said, I want to give a word of encouragement to everybody here today. He said, 18 years ago in the Wilson Jones Hospital in Sherman, Texas, my wife and I, we thanked the Lord for this baby boy because for nine months we had asked God God, give us a son who will be a preacher. Give us a son who will be a preacher. He said, we've been praying that for 18 years. Give us a son that will be a preacher. And he said, I have to be real honest with you. In those early 10 years, we just thought God, would, he, we, we just thought God had gone on vacation. 
because he, he couldn't be hearing our prayers the way this boy was living. But he said, I want to encourage you. Whatever you're praying for, whoever you're praying for, whatever you're believing for, believe what God says because God is faithful. And when we believe the way God tells us to believe and what God tells us to believe, if we faithfully believe it, in due time, it'll come to pass. Not on your time, not in the way you would like for it to come, but it'll come because in God, His promises are yes. And what we need to make sure we're doing all the time God's promises are being yes, 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 is we need to be saying amen, 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 amen. So be it, so be it, so be it, so be it. I don't know where you are today. I hope some thoughts have gone through your head that'll help you. Believe according to the Scripture. And out of your innermost being, your belly, your life will flow constantly. Rivers of living water. Your life can be different, I promise you. Not free of trouble, not free of trial, not free of a lot of things that happen to us. The way we think about those things and what we do when we think God's thoughts about those things that we face, the kinks no longer consume our lives. The kinks no longer consume our lives. But we're consumed by the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you hear us when we pray. That you're in this room right now, in your spirit. You're here because we're here. That's one of the reasons, because you live within us. Your spirit resides within us. And we acknowledge you, you're here today. You know what's going on, Spirit of God, in our soul. You know our thoughts. You know our doubts. You know our faults. You know our failures. You, you, you know all about us and what's going on in our soul. But Spirit of God, we ask you to change us. Allow us to see things the way you see them. Allow us to say things the way you want them said so that we can get the benefit of believing according to the Word of God. We bless you and we bless your people today. I stretch my hands toward them and I speak blessings on every one of you today. On your life, on your health, on your family, on your finances, on your friends. Blessings, the blessings of God. The blessings of God are on you. The blessings of God are on you. When you leave this building today, leave full of faith, knowing that you're loved by God and he has a great plan for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all give another hand clap. Thank you, Brother Ron, for being out here today. Guys, y'all have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday, rest of the week. God bless you all.